Welcome back to Never Ending Stories bonus episode. A little extra conversation for you here today. Not quite a revisited episode necessarily, but uh, in a way, actually, I guess that's exactly what this is. We've got Noah Sika, a professor of media studies at Queens College in the CUNY system there in New York City, here to discuss a new monograph he has written on a movie that, uh, you know, <laughs> things have been said about this movie, I think would be the best way to describe it. I'm not there. Todd Haynes's 2007 quote-unquote biopic of Columbia recording artist Bob Dylan. Long-time listeners may know, may remember, not necessarily uh, my favorite movie of all time, but Noah's written a very thoughtful examination of the film and the context into which it was released. Had to take a look at that, catch up on the movie, and honestly, you know what? Glad I did, because it's not as bad as I thought it was. In fact, there's there's actually a lot to recommend it. You know, still not it's still not masked and anonymous. I won't go that far. But I'm very thankful that Noah put so much time and effort into reading and rereading and rereading and explaining this uh, you know, relatively complicated motion picture here, uh, again, in his monograph, I'm Not There, available now in the 21st Century Film Essentials series from University of Texas Press. Here's Noah. joined today by Noah Sika, author of uh, a great new book, I guess like a monograph maybe is the best way to describe it, on Todd Haynes's uh, notorious 2007 film, I'm Not There. Noah, thank you so much for uh, for joining to uh, talk about it. Thank you so much. I'm glad you used the word notorious to describe it. It's <laughs> the word that I use, it's, it's definitely... It's notorious. It's infamous. That it is, is uh, yeah. It's it's kind of of the word that I have to use. I will level. I will level with you right away. Uh, and 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 uh, you know, keep my uh, you know, put my cards out on the table. I fucking hated this movie the first time I saw it. I'm and we talked about it, and I just I just watched it again. Uh, you know, last night, and uh, my my feelings have evolved and changed. Uh, you know, honestly, uh, in oh, large part, too. thanks to <laughs> some of your uh, excellent writing about it. But um, it is a it's a divisive motion picture. Um, I think is is the best way to describe it. Um, it's clear to me, you know, from the book, uh, which again it's called "Just I'm Not There" by Noah Sika, out now in the 21st Century Film Essentials series on the University of Texas Press. Uh, clear to me, you're approaching the movie, or maybe I'm wrong about this. It seems to me like you're approaching the movie as a fan and a scholar of Todd Haynes, as opposed to a fan and a scholar or, you know, uh, uh, of Dylan, maybe less of a fan and a scholar of Dylan. Um, am I right about that? If so, what kind of is your history with Bob both before and after the movie? Yeah, right. Well, I'm a film historian, I'm not a musicologist, um, but I did take uh, this legendary undergraduate seminar at Dartmouth on Bob Dylan um, that reminded me of why I had always loved his music. Um, so I studied Dylan off and on All over right. the years. Uh, 
And I will say that people who love Todd Haynes's movies tend not to like I'm not there. <laughs> so, you know, those who are fans of Todd Haynes are not fans of Bob Dylan. And I happen to be a big fan of both. So I thought, why not write this book? bringing together those two passions yeah you're the one man in the middle of that venn diagram there yeah i'm trying to be yeah yeah <laughs> i mean just over the years you know you you talk to people who will say oh i love poison i love far from heaven i love carol but i hate i'm not there <laughs> I, I love todd haynes but i can't stand bob dylan uh and i always push back i always say oh come on they're both great and people usually try to get me to back that up and I figured I'd uh, try to back it up in book form. Well, I think you've uh, you, you've done that and more. What is it about like the the Haynes heads out there? Why is there typically like a major kind of complaint or or like lens that they're viewing the film through that like predisposes them to you know disliking it? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean Haynes is a gay identified filmmaker whose work. Uh, is considered prototypically queer. So he's considered a pioneer of queer cinema, LGBTQ cinema. And I think that the people who are really passionate about his contributions to queer cinema, about his contributions to LGBTQ cinema, bulk at the idea of him being at all aligned with someone they view as a misogynist. I mean, Mm -hmm. they see Bob Dylan as the epitome of a kind of white male heterosexual privilege. I obviously don't agree with that assessment of Bob Dylan. I think he's far more interesting than that. Uh, And I'm sure Todd Haynes agrees, which is why he made I'm Not There in the first place. And he himself has said in interviews over the years that he thinks that Bob Dylan is a kind of queer figure in his capacity to shapeshift, in his willingness to change styles uh, musically, uh, in his eagerness to shed particular personas, personae, rather personas, personae, sure. uh, over the years. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's the, the main reason people uh, view Todd Haynes in a certain way, and they view Bob Dylan in a far different light. Sure, sure. Yeah, and there's there's quotes, I think, from Haynes in the book uh, several times, or maybe not in the book, but reference. I, I did a little bit of reading around it also. Um, but from Haynes, you know, talking about his sort of like queer reading of Bob, particularly yeah. in like that, that mid-60s, um, you know, uh, don't look back, uh, blonde on blonde, eat the document kind of era that is captured so, uh, so, so effort, uh, not effortlessly, but effervescently uh, in the Jude Quinn yeah. sections of the movie. Um, It's an interesting kind of approach that he takes, you know, there uh, that uh, seems to sort of not do battle against, but butt heads with maybe some uh, other uh, more uh, common uh, interpretations of of Bob from other kind of, you know, uh, more prototypical, you know, readers of Bob, you know, your your classic rock critics and so on. Absolutely. Um. You situate I'm Not There in the book uh, within this kind of little boomlet of musical biopics and stage adaptations that happened around that point in time. This was a 2007 movie. You, you referenced specifically Lennon, the uh, stage uh, adaptation of John Lennon's life, um, and Walk the Line, uh, directed notably by James Mangold, who we'll come back to momentarily, actually. 
Um, what uh, what does what does I'm Not There have in common with these types of films and productions? And I guess maybe more importantly, what does it not have in common with those types of things? That's a great question. Uh, it has a lot in common with Lennon, which was a fiasco, uh, a Broadway play in which characters of different races and gender identities and ages portray John Lennon. And that was Haynes's idea with I'm Not There. He conceived it around 2000 and knew that he wanted to cast diverse performers in the role of Bob Dylan or plain versions of Bob Dylan. Uh, but the show Lennon, the Broadway show Lennon, was a huge flop. It just didn't work for whatever reason. Um, so I think that was one strike against the I'm Not There project in the fall of 2005. Although Haynes and his uh, producer, Christine Fashon, were able to get funding for this film. Mm. Um, and they shot it in 49 days in the summer of 2006. And then just a few months later, the Twyla Tharp Broadway musical, The Times They Are Changing, premiered and that was of course a massive flop i mean just just talk about notorious uh you know truly ridiculous yeah there's uh, been some videos of that going around on uh, twitter recently with yes. you know, uh buddy of the show ray paget who's a big bob head dug that up out of somewhere who knows where and there was one clip of like uh there's you know uh um man gave names to all the animals yes. you know the kind of nursery rhyme uh biblical song that bob wrote for uh slow train coming it's yeah. being played, and there's someone like done up in a cow costume getting milked by someone on stage. It's just, yeah. it seems like the most dog shit, oh, bird, yeah. bird brain kind of thing you can come up with. I mean, it just, it ended up literalizing every single lyric. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, talk about a literal minded approach to Bob Dylan's life and career. Uh, yeah, that viral clip of the show being promoted on The View in the fall of Right, exactly, with the uh, Rolling Stone performance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, just ludicrous. And so, yeah, I mean, the, people were warning Todd Haynes not to do this. Thing, but, <laughs> you know, people have tried to solve the riddle of Bob Dylan, and they have failed. Uh, look at Twyla Tharp, look at, you know. Uh, and he he said, oh, I'm not trying to solve any kind of riddle. Uh, I'm not suggesting that there's a way of condensing Bob Dylan's life. I'm not making a traditional biopic. So just hear me out. Sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, a standard biopic, a conventional biopic like Walk the Line is... Uh, immensely entertaining, really valuable. I happen to be a fan of both approaches, the conventional approach to biopics and the unconventional approach that Haynes typifies with I'm not there. I think, you know, they're, they're equally interesting. Totally. Yeah. Haynes uh, obviously has uh, experience with approaching music subjects uh, through a variety of different genres, you know, uh, uh, as a filmmaker, obviously there's Velvet Goldmine, which is like a, like a fake bio, like a pseudo biopic in many ways. Uh, there's, I'm not there. Uh, and then most recently, uh, or more recently, obviously the Velvets, um, uh, documentary, which came out a couple years ago, which is more, more of a, you know, kind of, uh, a straightforward, typical rock doc approach. Not exactly like, 
uh, um, 100% along those lines, the way that No Direction Home, you know, is uh, from Scorsese, but uh, much more kind of playing it straight. Why? I, and I was I was wondering uh, or thinking about that, you know, why, why do you think that he chose to approach Bob through this kind of direction versus like the Velvets when he made that documentary on a much more, you know, straight and narrow traditional kind of uh, documentary approach? Right. Well, to, to get back to your earlier question about what I'm not there might have in common with Walk the Line, I think it's important to point out that I'm not there, for those who don't know, includes so many actual Dylan recordings. You hear Dylan's songs as recorded by Dylan throughout the film, uh, just as you hear so many Velvet Underground songs in the documentary of that name. Uh, and just as Haynes had wanted you to hear so many Bob, uh, sorry, uh, David Bowie songs in Velvet Goldmine, but he couldn't get the rights from right. Bowie. Uh, so he had to, you know, make some changes to that script. He envisioned it as a kind of commentary on David Bowie's life and career, which it still is. Uh, it just doesn't use any David Bowie songs because Bowie wouldn't license his music to the production. Um, but I think that he, Todd Haynes, views Bob Dylan differently from the way he views even Lou Reed. Mm. I think that he sees Dylan as this productive enigma. Um, and it's interesting that in the Velvet Goldmine documentary, Lou Reed's sister calls him out and says, look, uh, it's simplistic to approach my brother's life in a certain way. Right. Um, and I think that avoiding a simplistic reading of Bob Dylan's career is what Haynes was trying to do with I'm not there. Um, I think he also was trying to prevent Bob Dylan from <laughs> threatening the production with a lawsuit by muddying the waters a bit. Right. Uh, he's not taking a directly potentially libelous approach to, to Dylan's life. He's using indirection, uh, which is perhaps a, a, an ass uh, covering measure. <laughs> right that uh, uh, you know. definitely could be part of it uh on, on that note uh, actually you know the first major section of the book uh, uh that you write about here in large part is devoted to a discussion of haynes's like evolving use of quotation and appropriation and homage you know throughout his career which you compare to bob's you know kind of use of of the same his evolution um yeah. uh as a Artist um, stealing, uh, or, or uh, you know, for lack of there, uh, lack of a better term, um, do you? I guess, do you see the way that dialogue and like the grammar of the film is repurposed and redeployed without attribution? In I'm not there. Is that like Haynes kind of consciously trying to work the same way that he thinks Bob works as a musician? Is that something else? I think so. Yeah, I, but I think it also speaks to a basic affinity between the two men between the two artists i think that haynes has always worked in that way uh, i think you're right you're absolutely right it is that but it's also just a symptom an expression of what todd haynes has always done uh his films have always referenced anything and everything high culture low culture everything in between uh, and he hasn't always offered attribution a lot of his citations are 
unacknowledged as citations. You sort of have to know the references to know that they're being referenced. Um, but he takes that, I argue, to an extreme in I'm Not There, precisely, I think, because, as you point out, Bob Dylan has always done that. He's always, you know, taken from so many sources. I mean, if he's asked where uh, certain ideas come from, he'll often say the box. The box <laughs> wrote that. And by the box, he means, you know, this this literal and figurative storehouse, this collection of ephemera, of objects and incidents that he's piled up over the years yes yeah he does literally have that box that you know we we've um a couple months ago we uh, presented mask anonymous um uh, for it's like 20th anniversary with larry charles um and uh and spoke to larry about it and he, that's one of his favorite stories about making the movie is bob literally has this box of all these fucking scraps of paper that say <laughs> uncle sweetheart and bobby cupid on them and he just exactly. dumps them out on the desk and that's where yeah. he he uh, started putting that movie together. I, do you have uh, uh, Mass Anonymous comes up several times in the uh, in the book? I mean, you can't you can't get around it. Obviously, came out just exactly. a few years before this, and is also you know uh, uh, just completely wacko and wild ride. Yeah. Do you have uh, uh, just like these two movies appearing kind of as as temporally close as they do within the span three four years? Um, what is that all about? Oh, I love Mass and Anonymous. I really do. That's I cherish one of that my film. absolute favorites. That Isn't is like a near and dear to my heart. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a gem. And I remember when it came out. I remember that it was widely panned, and I was surprised because I was so excited for it. I uh, had read about its production. I had you know followed the making of the film through the trade press, through Entertainment Weekly, through other publications. And so I was really, really excited for Mass and Anonymous. And then it was released and everyone panned it. And I saw it and I thought, what are they talking about? Yeah. What are they not seeing? <laughs> Please. Uh, and a lot of people still say, as they said in 2007, when I'm Not There came out, that Haynes's I'm Not There is you know, the art film antithesis of Mass and Anonymous, which is just bullshit. I mean, that's a ridiculous reading. The mm. films are structurally similar. Uh, they're similar in that they both use Dylan's music. I mean, they're similar in so many ways. I think they're companion pieces. I think you could even read I'm Not There as an extension of Mass and Anonymous. I think it's clear that Haynes saw, even studied Mass and Anonymous before he shot I'm Not There. Um, you know, even down to the reproduction in I'm Not There of the ending of Mastin Anonymous. You know, sure. Bob Dylan sitting in the back of that car, musing on the soundtrack, uh, eventually looking at the camera and breaking the fourth wall, which is exactly what Kate Blanchett as Jude Quinn does at the end of her segment toward the end of I'm Not There. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of great parallels. Both sure. of them even have that like Mona Lisa smile kind of yes. expression when they're looking at the camera. It just kills me. Yeah. It's just brilliant. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I point out in the book that the first decade of this century was a period during which so many films were made that touched on Bob Dylan's legend. I mean, I think it really started with Dylan writing the theme song for the Curtis Hansen film, 
Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys, yes. The 2000 film, right? Things have uh, changed. Yeah. Exactly. Book ends the film. It plays over the opening credits and the closing credits. And uh, the intervening sequences include a couple of uh, vintage Bob Dylan songs. And he, of course, as you know, as everyone knows, won the Oscar for Best Original Song for that film in the spring of 2001. And, you know, he memorably accepted the oscar via satellite live yeah, via beaming satellite. in on the stage yeah yeah from the <laughs> from the never-ending tour yeah uh, i think he was in australia and um ever since then uh he has well i think certainly in the in the 10 years after he won the oscar so many films i'm not there included tackled bob dylan uh you know, totally. because his his film career was pretty much over after Hearts of Fire in 1987. <laughs> Which uh, was probably for the best. <laughs> for the best, absolutely. I mean, have you seen it? Have yeah, so it? we've done an episode on her. We've done every single nook and cranny of Bob Dylan's Oof. career. We have we have uh, uh, consumed and and discussed and debated and uh, and you know lived through for better or for oh, worse. Dear. Hearts of Fire yeah. is. It's it's a tough hang even for you're me. A survivor, you're a hearts of fire survivor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, no, when he opens the fridge and all the eggs, oof. you know, that's that's classic. That's cinema. Yeah. That's movie magic. <laughs> it sure is everything about it. No, it's it's uh, it doesn't circulate much. It it isn't even on DVD, as you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, what a terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> um, and you know, that was the nadir of his career, arguably. You know, the eighties were pretty. Pretty hard on Dylan. Yeah, um, that second half of the eighties in particular. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and so it really wasn't until Wonder Boys that he was able to, uh, I think, just change the cinematic narrative, right? Maybe expunge, extinguish memories of Hearts of Fire uh, with that Oscar win, yeah, which augured, you know, not just I'm not there, but also Mass and Anonymous and the Scorsese documentary that you mentioned the American Masters documentary series. Yep. No Direction Home in 05. And then later, obviously, the second Sorsese uh, documentary, which you were not, uh, doesn't seem like you're a, 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 a oh, particular fan of oof, that uh, motion boy. picture, judging by uh, yeah. what you write about in the book. What is it about yeah. Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin oof. Sorsese that uh, rubs you the wrong way? I'm probably too hard on it, <clears throat> excuse me, in the book. Um, but. I just think he's trying to do what Haynes does so effervescently, to use your word, and I'm not there. I just don't think that he shares that sensibility. Scorsese. I don't think Scorsese, yeah. I don't think I don't think Scorsese is adept at satire. Mm. I don't think that the mockumentary is his metier. I don't think that he's uh someone you think of when you think of mockumentary, whereas Todd Haynes very much is. And sure. there are so many elements of I'm not there that recall the mockumentary elements of his earlier films, like superstar, the Karen Carpenter story and poison. Mm-hmm. There's a mockumentary segment of poison that really ridicules tabloid television. So Haynes has always been doing that sort of thing. And uh, I just don't think Scorsese is any good at it. I don't think the jokes are particularly funny in the film. I cherish the footage that Scorsese was able to remaster of um, the, the specifically the, um, the sequences from Ronaldo and Clara. Yeah. Um, But, you know, my, my take is just see Ronaldo and Clara. Yeah. Just, just 
I'll get a copy of that, get a bootleg cassette of that, watch it. Uh, I have a file of it. I don't think it's a great film, but uh, it's it's fascinating. Um, you know, Sharon Stone. It's always great to see Sharon Stone, <laughs> but uh, you know her her joke about uh, Dylan being inspired by the kiss makeup. That, yes, you know, you know I just I'm like, come on. Yeah. What, are we, what are we five years old? Come on. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. You know, it's uh, that that movie uh, to the extent that it's it succeeds, it really succeeds just based on me to me on the concert footage that oh, sure. is yeah. like shining through in beautiful yeah. high definition and sounds incredible. Like you know, just some of the the like facial expressions that uh, that uh, Bob is making, like performing ISIS and stuff. Like that's yeah. that's the whole thing there. But everything surrounding that really can be. I remember we we talked about that on the show too a couple years ago, and it was just like I thought I was going to dig it more coming back to it and it was still just as much of a oh, yeah. like tough hang like half success as i ever thought it was oh was okay yeah i mean that's that's why i think i'm probably too hard on it in the book i i should acknowledge in the book that it it is a a great source of, of remastered footage um but yeah it's i was so excited for it because i'm a huge fan of um uh, no direction home yeah. I mean, No Direction Home is just revelatory and uh, a gorgeous documentary in every way. That's just like well made. That's just, you know, it, yeah. it, it doesn't like it surprise you or kind of really throw too many curveballs, you know, filmmaking right. wise, but yeah. it doesn't need to. It's just like, no. you know, that's just everything up like a well, you know, well, well, well done, ste- not a well done steak, but a well cooked steak, not per- perfectly right. medium rare, just classic, Perfect. exactly what you want. Yeah, nice and pink in the middle. That's right. Um, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's a conventional documentary. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, an episode of PBS American Masters after all. I mean, it's not unconventional. It's not radical. But that doesn't mean it isn't valuable. And I think that uh, Scorsese perhaps wanted to imitate aspects of I'm Not There with sure. Rolling Thunder Review of Bob Dylan's story. Yeah. Um, and you know that's that's just really not in his toolbox. Makes sense. Uh, and then we've got another Bob Dylan movie on the horizon uh, yeah. at the moment. Going back to uh, like I said before, James Mangold, uh, who's in production on a complete unknown, starring our friend Timothy Chalamet. Uh, which, by all indications, seems like it's going to be a pretty you know straight and narrow walk the line ass kind of yeah. approach to. Uh, to Bob's career. Obviously, you know, none of us have seen it. We don't even have a trailer yet, but I'm wondering what you think about, because I mean, that is, that is being made in close cooperation with the Dylan camp, just the same way I'm not there was, um, wondering what you think about their decision that, uh, you know, now is the time that we need this just like, you know, uh, 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 straightforward, uh, predictable, presumably approach to the man's life. Um, when we have all of these other filmic treatments. Exactly. I think that it will seem redundant at best and just unacceptably conventional at worst. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how you can. Well, I, I, I don't know how you can cast Timothy Chalamet in the role. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have reservations about that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to. Um, sound like too much of a hater but i I guess i i guess i'm just a hater i'm i'm such a such a partisan i'm such a a fan of i'm not there 
that it's hard for me to imagine um, a conventionalized version of it starring none other than Timmy Chalamet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it seems like it's going to fit into that. You know, we've had the, there was the Freddie Mercury movie, you know, the yeah. singer did a couple years ago. And then there was the, the Bowie one and there was the Elton John one. And there, there've been a couple others like, and they all just, I, I haven't seen any of them. They all just look like dog shit. I just, it feels like this is going to fit right into that kind of, you know, mini moment. Yeah. Uh, exactly. that, you know, Bob, Bob doesn't deserve that. No, but, he doesn't. Uh, I mean, you know, Timmy is desperate to win an Oscar. He, he wants his Academy Award. And, uh, you know, I'm sure his people think that this is his best shot at the Oscar for best actor. If, uh, you know, even Rami Malek could win for Bohemian Rhapsody Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, for, for his false teeth. Uh, you know, um, yeah, I do. I think Dylan deserves a lot better. Than, yeah. than Oscar mongering. I guess we'll, uh, Lord knows we'll be doing an episode about that too when it comes out. Um, <laughs> uh, probably not having very, uh, fond, uh, uh, conversations about it. Uh, uh, I look forward to back to, I'm not there. Uh, at one point in your, uh, in your book here, you state uh, Dylan's sheer longevity would have made a more comprehensive historical treatment difficult, if not impossible in any case, I'm not there, is characterized by the lack of inclusion of any definite post-70s developments. For me, you know, part of the reason I think that I had a, you know, negative reaction to the movie in the first place is, is in large part because of this, because the story that Haynes seems to be interested in telling, the stories, I should say, about Bob that he seems to be interested in telling, seem to end you know, pretty definitively there right about 1980, you know, pressing yeah. on, uh, which Christian Bale... Uh, so not John Doe sings and Christian Bale lip syncs to. That's kind of about as far into the future as you get. Although there are a couple other 90s and 2000s uh, music cues that pop up uh, that I realized um, the other night re-watching it. In any case, you go on to speculate in the book that Haynes' decision to avoid you know post-70s material may have had something to do with his typical interest in making period pieces. Um, at the same time... I would say, you know, a non-trivial portion of I'm Not There is devoted to segments that are like kind of unstuck from time or at least less stuck to, to less tethered to a specific, you know, signature moment in Bob's career, specifically like the Woody Guthrie segment and the Billy the Kid segment. Um, just wondering if you can kind of expand on your thoughts about Haynes' decision to avoid engaging with anything past that kind of flashbulb signature moment that, uh, you know, most people are familiar with in Bob's career. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that he, Todd Haynes, probably was reluctant to even allude to the 80s simply because the 80s were so bad for Bob Dylan. Uh, I don't think he wanted to offer too negative a portrait of Bob Dylan, too pessimistic a portrait of his career. Uh, I mentioned in the book that Haynes in... Velvet Goldmine offers a fairly scathing account of David Bowie's 80s phase. Mm. Um, you know, he even goes so far as to suggest, though he doesn't use the name David Bowie, that Bowie sold out in the 80s, that his Serious Moonlight tour was reactionary on so many levels. And I think that argument makes Velvet Goldmine really interesting. He looks at the failure of certain 70s political projects the 
transformation of certain approaches to everyday life and to music and to politics into this regressive stance that to him the serious moonlight tour typify uh, but there's none of that criticism in i'm not there partly perhaps because haynes got dylan's permission and mm-hmm. was using dylan's music um so i i don't think he wanted to rock the boat i don't think he wanted to examine the 80s in any way although as you suggest he does dip into the 90s a bit cold irons bound from time out of mind is on the soundtrack at one point when Kate blanchett is being ushered out of uh, uh a nightclub yeah um but uh you uh, you mentioned the uh the richard gear segments uh i think richard gear definitely embodies the aging dylan right he's the oldest of the six actors in the film uh so he's there to suggest the aging process he's there i think to also indicate the capacity of bob dylan in middle age at middle age to look back on his life and career Mm. um but you know that segment the the um billy the kid segment is not set in any identifiable era I mean, it perhaps looks like the 1860s. There are characters in Civil War getups. You know, there's a Lincoln on stilts. But we don't know exactly when that sequence takes place. He has visions of Vietnam at one point. You know, he, he sees the, the highway blasting through town. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So so we don't know. Um, it seems to combine past and present and even future. Uh, and I think that is the closest that Haynes gets in the film to looking forward to more Dylan music, more, more productivity from Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have been, uh, would have been a tough thing to engage with in general, especially because I mean, the movie is already, you know, 15, 16 years old at this point Uh here today. It feels like it just came out and, uh, you know, we're getting close to, to 20 years old. Um, so, you know, if he had wanted to touch, 90s bob you know that would have been something that was just five ten years in the past at this point difficult to kind of engage with uh you know in any sort of interesting insightful way um sure but still you know when i first saw the film in 2007 i was surprised that it didn't include any references to time out of mind to the grammys to that triumph um i was expecting even a reference to the Victoria's Secret commercials. But, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing, nothing from the 90s, really, except for the inclusion of Cold Irons Bound on the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. And I think I caught a snatch of um, uh, High Water uh, for Charlie Patton. Uh, just the, the oh, music, yes. just the music bed. They yeah. don't have the lyrics there, but that, right. you know, that, that banjo uh, that, that plays at some point. I forget when exactly. Um. Yeah, you know, well, I, I I know my shit at this point for yeah, Bob at least. Um, another part of the book, uh, you spend a little bit of time talking about Bob's relationship to the Civil War, uh, yeah. which is interesting, uh, and to you know reference another relative deep cut in Bob's filmography, um, uh, his the role that he played, uh, not the role that he played, but the uh, what he contributed to Gods and Generals, a uh, historical like dramatiz- uh, dramatization of you know the Civil War. 
um, which Bob, you know, added a song to the soundtrack, Cross the Green Mountain, and then and starred uh, in an accompanying uh, and delightful, uh, if I can say, uh, music yeah. video. Um, is, there, to you, is there a particular political valence to anything Bob has said or done uh, with his, you know, kind of relation to the Civil War, or is it something else? Not in my opinion, but I think there is a political valence that people want to assign to attribute to his involvement with gods and generals and his longstanding interest in the civil war. I mean, mm. in Chronicles, he describes himself as a civil war buff, right? Um, you know, we know that he has always been interested in the civil war, but when gods and generals came out and was praised by the right wing press in 2003, a lot of people said that Dylan was complicit in that kind of lionization, lionizing rather of um, of the lost cause, and so I think certainly twenty years ago, people were willing to say that he was out of line in supporting a film that was a favorite of Phyllis Schlafly, mm. uh, you know. But I don't think it's possible to confidently identify his relationship to the confederacy sure <laughs> uh you know i mean there's that moment in hearts of fire when he you know uh dons a confederate flag and uh you know there are all of these symbols of the confederacy in his in his work that doesn't mean that he um <laughs> that doesn't mean that he's uh you know mourning the confederacy right yeah uh yeah i agree and you know he, he, it, it it's still uh appearing right up until this very day the last line of uh murder most foul uh, you know play the bloodstained banner play murder most foul the bloodstained banner of course being the uh you know stars and bars uh and uh that song i think engages with uh a lot of the legacy of the civil war in a kind of weird um uh but compelling manner uh it's definitely something that you know is just kind of stuck in his brain uh and has been i think from the very beginning and is yeah. is still stuck there right up until today um cool i think that's that is most of what i wanted to wrap about i guess to to maybe we can um, and the, the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on was, um, uh, eat the document, um, which you spend okay. some time, uh, discussing at the end of your book, um, and appropriately, you know, uh, a clip of eat the document clips from eat the document, I should say, uh, appear at the end of I'm not there. The very last things you see on screen. In fact, um, you seem to see, uh, a relationship, uh, you know, a relation, uh, between Bob's film, Eat the Document, Bob's first directorial effort, to you know some extent, uh, and and Haynes's, um, can you you know tease that out for us? Yeah, definitely. Um, Haynes is a fan of Eat the Document. He's talked about renting a bootleg cassette of Eat the Document in Portland, Oregon, and watching it as research for I'm Not There, and so he makes use of it, as you say. And I'm not there, but, you know, of course, so does Scorsese in uh, No Direction Home. I think, you know, one of the major just archival contributions of No Direction Home in 2005 was to use so much footage from either document, which relatively few people had seen. Um, 
but the document, <clears throat> excuse me, as you know, is um, such a strange film. You know, it it it, um, it really defies description, and that's of course what Todd Haynes was going for with "I'm Not There." So I think you know the two work together so beautifully, mm. right? Um, and you know, if anything, the document provides that beautiful final image on which Haynes fades out of Bob Dylan playing the harmonica portion of Mr. Tambourine Man. Tambourine Man. Yeah. Great, yeah. uh, great shot. Yeah, so, so much, uh, uh, footage, you know, documentary footage of Bob, I think is, is, uh, succeeds just, just based on like the ability to capture him, his face, you know, in the midst of performance, you get that there in um in eat the document and obviously like we talked about earlier you know the the long shots and close zooms uh for all the ronaldo and clara footage as well it's like that's man it tells the whole story just uh getting some clean footage of uh of the man's face up there on stage in the midst of all this shit absolutely you got any other things you want to uh touch on any other nooks or crannies of i'm not there Mm -hmm. or uh the the accompanying discussion uh uh, in book form that you have for us? No, I mean, I will say that I, I probably shouldn't say this, but when I first saw I'm Not There, I had a reaction similar to yours. Um, I what? wasn't a fan. Yeah, no, really. Um, you know, that's, I, I think I was expecting something different. Mm. And um, it wasn't until I taught the film uh, five years later that I thought, oh, shit, <laughs> I love this. I don't know what happened in the intervening years, but uh, it, it worked its magic on me the second time around. And uh, I've loved it passionately ever since. So um, so I'm not um, surprised that you that you didn't like it the first time around. <laughs> Uh, well, you've done a justice to it here in uh, in I'm not there, um, and uh, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we got the chance to rap about it, and I was able to read it because I feel like I am, uh, you know, I I felt I felt like I was kind of the odd man out here because because so many people love this movie, um, uh, especially you know uh, people kind of in our orbit, you know, the major Bob freaks and heads. Um, uh, and and you know I I was the one that uh, didn't share that opinion, um, and uh, and now I you know I still I still don't know that it completely does it for me, uh, you know every step of the way, um, but uh, it, it's definitely it, it's growing on me uh, as well. Uh, so thank you for uh, helping helping lead me to the light, uh, like uh, like Pastor Pastor Jack. Exactly. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again to Noah for joining us to rap about this movie which uh you know i mean <laughs> like i said a lot of things have been said about i'm not there but i don't think we'd want it any other way you know uh, bob dylan deserves a complicated and mystifying and confrontational and 
honestly kind of upsetting at times, to certain people at least, movie about his life. It's very true to that restless, hungry spirit that we all know and love. So if you'd like to learn more about I'm Not There the way that I did, run Don't Walk to your nearest book purveyor to pick up Noah's I'm Not There, part of the 21st Century Film Essentials series from University of Texas Press. We'll have a link in the episode description. Until next time, don't you dare miss it. She's a long-hearted mystic And she ain't carry on When I'm there, she's alright But when she's not when I'm gone Everyone knows that the answer She don't call him no one She's the way for sailing beautiful She's mine for the one and I lost a heavy tension by temptation as it runs but you don't holler me but I'm not there I'm gone